everyone. I'm your host, April Hanna, and this is the Path 11 Podcast. Just a reminder, we are offering access to all of our archive shows, which is well over 100 hours of content, and new bonus shows such as the Virtual Book Club, Food for Thought Friday, and the Two Minute Tuesday, all for just $3.99 a month. Think about it, guys. That's less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte at Starbucks. Sign up for premium for just $3.99 a month. Now let's get to this week's show. So today I am joined with Peter Cutler. He is a monk, mystic, author, artist, and spiritual teacher. Peter is a spiritual catalyst. He helps birth the awakened consciousness that lies hidden in most of us. Although it lies hidden behind the conditioned thoughts of the dream world, it is always here ready to awaken. Peter fully awakened when he was only 22 years old. After 10 days living in this awakened consciousness, he promptly fell back into the dream of separation. This began a 40-year spiritual search that finally flowered as the lasting state of awakened consciousness it is today. Peter is a vehicle that allows others to experience their true awakened nature. Thanks to the great freedom Peter has realized and embodies, an energetic transmission often occurs in his presence. This happens through the Living Awake groups, individual sessions, workshops, retreats, writing, videos, the Zen of Love, and the energetic transmission that comes through his Zen paintings. Access to most of this will be available on his website, and we'll let you know that at the end of the show. But I'd like to welcome Peter. Hello. Thank you, April. What a yes. lovely voice you have. Oh, why, thank you. So we're so happy to have you um, on our show today to really talk about awakening and talk about unconditional love. So um, usually how I like to start off my podcast is to let our listeners know a little bit about your story and how you came to maybe becoming awakened, falling back asleep, and then waking back up. Um, but you have a pretty interesting background story, and I'd like you to share that with our listeners. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, well, the, the first awakening happened when I was 22 and that was, um, came as a complete surprise to me. I didn't really have any preparation for it at all. It just sort of seemed to come out of nowhere. I'd been, um, maybe doing yoga for like a year or two from a book. And, uh, I had a, a book by uh, Yogananda called How to Know God that I've been reading and sort of keeping with me. I was really interested in that book. And um, and uh, another book on meditation, which was called Raja Medi Meditation, which was just basically concentration. That's all I knew. You know, I had very little spiritual background at that point. And um, what had happened is my mother was an alcoholic and uh, she was in a, um, a rehab center. And at the end of, I think she was there for like a month or two. And at the end of that time, they invited family members to come down. I hadn't been living, you know, at home for a while at that point. But my brother and I decided we would go down. Maybe that would help out. So we went down to Florida where she was and uh, family members would go for the last week. And while I was there, um, it was really difficult for me because it was kind of like an AA meeting where, where people uh, stand up and talk about basically all the suffering they've created in the world through their addiction. And um, so I was listening to one person after another do this, and it was making me very angry. I was very upset with this. Um, I mean, it was bad enough what had happened with my mother, but there were other stories that were even worse than that. And, um, it was really, it was just, I was just getting very angry about it. And I felt that, um, I think it was the second day I told my brother, I'm going to leave. I can't really do this. I'm, I'm just getting like really angry. This is not helping me or anybody else. And so that night I went to sleep and I woke up the next morning and my life was gone. You know, this angry person was not there. There was nothing but this overwhelming love, basically, this overwhelming, unconditional love and a feeling of light as if my body was just light. And uh, it was quite different, but obviously it felt wonderful. You know, I felt better than I'd ever felt in my life up until that point. So um, 
it was uh, as I went back into the meetings, I felt this just enormous. All I felt was this unconditional love for everyone there. And I seemed to know them so intimately. And this had an effect on them. It was healing them. So people would come up to me one at a time and tell me their stories and they would start crying and I would hold them and it seemed to be healing for them. And then the counselors started doing it too. So it was a, it was amazing. And I didn't know what to think of this, but I was happy for it. You know, I, I mean, honestly, at the time, from everything I knew, I thought, oh, I'm the second coming of Christ. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> I didn't know what else to say. You know, I didn't know what right. else to think about it, but I was happy for it. And I could see all the good that it was doing for other people, too. The only person that wasn't healed was my mother. You know, she everybody else was like had these amazing experiences. And my mother was resisting it. She was just uh, afraid. She was just really afraid to, to feel that much love coming towards her. Somehow she was fighting it. So I learned a lot about her, too. I learned that a lot of her problem was this resistance to love, you know, which is the thing she wanted the most. But she was resisting it. So I understood her in a, in a, in a deeper way than I ever had before. Energetically, I could just feel this in her. And it explained a lot of her life to me. So this went on for a while. As, as, as we left, I went about 10 days. Um, when we left at the end of the week on the plane, the, stu the stewardess said, um, asked the guy sitting next to me if she could move him up to first class so she could sit next to me. <laughs> it wow. was so strange. And then she was telling me this, like the story about this relationship she was in and how it was so hurtful to her and these problems that she had in her life. And, you know, people were just coming up and telling me these these stories. I was just sitting there doing nothing. And at the time, I was kind of like a hippie. You know, I was like a 22 year old hippie. I had long hair. And uh, but these strangers were just attracted to me and would tell me their stories. And I love them. You know, so I just I just pour, I just love them. I didn't really I don't know what I said to anybody. I have no idea what I said, whether I even said anything at all. Maybe I just listened to them, but it seemed to be very helpful to them. Then I came back home and um, and I was married at the time. I had two young children and uh, my wife was also a little bit freaked out you know, to see me because I had gone as one person. I came back and I was just not the same. You know, I was just not the same at all. It was this other being and, and it was scaring her. My kids loved it. They were little kids and, you know, they like to be loved. So they, they just it was good for them. But she was nervous about it. And my next door neighbor also didn't quite get it. And uh, so eventually it just uh, I was just triggered back into my old person, my old personality. And uh that was uh, difficult, you know, because I didn't know how this happened. So I didn't know what to do about getting it back. But I wanted it desperately wanted to be back that way. I didn't want to be who I was, you know, um, but I was, you know, I came back into that thing, which was I was fairly egocentric. I was an artist and um you know, pretty self-centered, very involved with my work, whatever I was doing, you know, at the time. And uh, yeah, that was not, I, you know, after I'd had a taste of this, I didn't want the old life again, but I had it and I didn't know how to get this back again. So that started my spiritual search to try and figure out what happened, how to get back to it. So, you know, learning meditation, going to different groups, trying to find things. So eventually I, I'd heard that um, in meditation that Zen was the kind of the, the, uh, the Buddhism of meditation, you know, an awakening. So I um, got involved with that and got involved with Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, he's a, a Zen teacher, you know, very popular, very well known. And I sort of um, opened my heart up to him. You know, I heard his voice on a tape and I just thought, OK, this is OK. This 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 guy's OK. He's he's kind of a combination of a spiritual mother and father in one. You know, I just felt that in his voice, you know, very in integrity with the teachings. He was a monk. Um, a lot of spiritual teachers are not so in in integrity with their teachings. They don't really. They don't walk the talk, 
you know, their lives are not walking the talk. Many are like that. And I'd heard about that. So I, I didn't want to be involved with a teacher who wasn't walking the talk. I felt that that wouldn't be good if I was going to open up so much to them. And so Thich Nhat Hanh was good in that way. You know, At years, I think 30 years, I was, you know, a student of his, very involved in the Sangha. And along the way, I had other openings, nothing as much as when I was 22, but smaller openings, smaller freedom from this sense of a separate self and opening back into this, this oneness, this unconditional love for everything. So I had a number of experiences like that. Pretty much every retreat I was on was like that. I would have an opening and then I would come back again to the, per the person and, and the life and the feeling of separation, you know, but it started wearing down, you know, over time. And I think, uh, I can't say how I reached where I am now, which is exactly the same place I was when I was 22. You know, it took 40 years to really come back to this. And I think there were a lot of practices that I did. Um, long meditation, you know, for 40 years, I was meditating every day, doing at least two or three retreats a year, uh, silent retreats and, um, and being with the Sangha twice uh, a week for all that time. I was very devoted to this practice. I was really involved in this practice, very committed to it. And, uh, you know, and it was working in many ways in my life. And then at some point, these things started happening that were not explained in the Sangha, were not explained in any books, the, these uh, other things happening. Uh, one of them was that uh, I started healing people. And that happened about 10 years ago. And it was, um, that was just as much of a shock as the first awakening is like, how is this happening? It doesn't make any sense because I knew nothing about it. And uh, I was actually quite skeptical about this, about this kind of energetic healing that people would physically heal from energy. I think I was a non-believer in that. And suddenly it was happening, you know, with people. And, uh, and that taught me that I'm not doing it because I don't know how to. You know, I have no idea how to, and I wasn't learning how to, I was kind of guided, don't learn anything, it will just happen. And it did, you know, as long as I got out of the way, as long as I got the I out of the way, the self out of the way, something would just happen. And I never knew what, you know, at times I would think, oh, yeah, I remember this is the same person, kind of person that came to me before who has fibromyalgia. For some reason, a lot of people came with that. It's a chronic pain. And, um, you know, after like two times, I thought, oh, yeah, I think I understand this now because maybe it'll I'll do something similar to what happened before. But it was never the same. It was always completely different what the healing was for each person, even if they had the same symptoms. It was always entirely different. And that was nothing that I could ever know. I couldn't go with my background or what I learned from the, even the day before. You know, I had to just let go of all of it and watch it happen in the moment. So I had to be completely present all the time. So that healing taught me that. It taught me to be present. It taught me to get out of the way. It taught me that I don't know anything. That was a very important humbling, you know, that all the knowledge, everything I'd learned on the path, all the spiritual learning, that I knew nothing at all, you know, that I just didn't know anything, but something else did. Something else had this seemingly infinite wisdom. And I trusted that. Yeah. I, I, okay, I think it was last year I had uh, a moment of that same feeling of, I know nothing. <laughs> and in that moment, there was so much surrender that I had for about two or three weeks mm. in just really feeling like I really know nothing at all, you know, and it was related to a uh, death of a friend and it just kind of stopped me in my tracks. And same thing, like everything that I had ever studied about the afterlife or reincarnation, just the world healing, everything. I was just like, I know nothing. And I was in this state for a while. So when you say that, I, I wasn't there long, but I remember just feeling free of all stress, all yeah. anxiety. It was like an empty feeling yet so full. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, yeah. the freedom, the mind is afraid of not knowing, you know, it doesn't want to be an idiot. It doesn't want to be stupid. It doesn't want to be humbled. It doesn't want to admit this. But in fact, this is the freest, the most wonderful we can feel to not know. It's we for some reason, our mind is determined to make us unhappy. It's determined to not let us have, you know, the greatest freedom and, and joy and peace and love that we can experience, it, it seems. It, it's not doing it on purpose. It, it's afraid of, you know, for some reason, this not knowing. But not knowing is, is, is just wonderful freedom. It's so free. And I tell people, you know, if we open into that space of not knowing, because it will come, you know, in your day, there'll be a moment where you're just sort of stuck and you go, I don't know. And then immediately you try and figure out. You try and it's like, just for a moment, don't do that. Just just stay in this not knowing for a while until you can appreciate what it is to really just be curious about what's it like to be open and receptive? What's it like to be completely open? Because that is not knowing. You know, we have a desire to know. And if we stay in this space of not knowing, we're open to everything. You know, we're paying attention to everything. It's such a beautiful way to be. I mean, it is it is really one of the keys to awakening is not knowing because after we're awake, we never know, you know, we're always home. <laughs> right. It's not it like awake and it feels contradicting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, nothing, but somehow in the moment, whatever needs to come comes. So it seems like you're incredibly wise and you know, all these things, but they just come in the moment and then you immediately let them go. You know, you don't remember, Oh, that was good. You just let it all go because you trust that, Something's always going to come. Whatever needs to come is just going to come. You don't need right. to store it in your mind. It's just going to come spontaneously. And it does. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you had that experience. Yeah, me too. It yeah. was really awesome. Um, and I have, I always pronounce his name a different way every time I say it, but I was really excited to know that you had studied with Tatnit Han. Is that how it's pronounced? Tick Han. Yeah. Tick yeah. like a tick. Tick. Yeah. Tick. Tick Nat Han. Um, I mean, wow, what an amazing experience. I mean, I just came across his work probably about seven years ago and uh, fell in love with him as a teacher. I, I call him my one of my virtual teachers online because I, you know, watch a bunch of YouTubes. I read his books and, and things of that sort. So um, just what a gift to, for you to be able to be in his presence and to study under him is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, well, of others. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. But you're the first person that I've talked to personally with really? his connection. Yeah. So, um, so that's special for me. And, um, and so I'm wondering, like when you were in his presence and you studied under, you know, quite a few, uh, you know, remarkable teachers, um, I would assume as a student, did you ask them directly, like what they thought happened when you were 22 and did they give you any wise answers to help you along the way? Or was it more of uh, reflective feedback for you to find the answer for yourself? Hmm. Well, I didn't ask him. Um, but I asked something else, you know, at the time when I, I was doing the healings about 10 years ago, I opened to this, this wisdom for myself, you know, this infinite wisdom. And I would just ask questions of it. I asked one of the questions I asked was like, why did this happen when I was 22? Of course, I had this huge question of that. And I asked, you know, why was I born into this family? Why was did I have parents like this? Why did I have this thing that why was I bullied when I was 12 years old by a kid? I asked all the questions that I'd had about my life into this wisdom of which I call God at the time. That's what the word that I used. I said, you know, God, help me answer this question. And I I, I asked with with a completely open heart and I asked in this way that, you know, whatever answer I get, I accept. And it doesn't have to have even anything to do with my question. You know, I'm accepting anything. I'm just open to whatever comes. And always I would get these answers. It took a while. I, I will say it took a while to do that because at first I got the answer in visions, in images, and I just didn't understand them. I had no idea what they meant. And I would ask for more clarity and then I would get another image, another vision, and that wouldn't make it any more clear to me. So I was frustrated with that. And I, I knew I needed to turn it into language that I could understand. I needed to turn it into, into words. 
and somehow I think I read a book or something about um, automatic writing, you know, about just just typing, just typing on a, you know, computer key keypad and um, just letting, you know, it go, just opening, typing garbage, whatever. And then eventually something would just sort of rise up. So that's what I did. I asked the question and then I did that. And eventually, slowly, I started getting the answers. It, went, it was very clear when they came through. It'd be garbage, garbage, garbage. And all of a sudden, wow, I'm feeling, you know, filled with light again. And and then the answers were so simple and obvious and, and perfect. So over time, I didn't need to do the garbage anymore. I could just directly have this conversation and I didn't need to type anymore. I could just ask and, and feel the answer coming and it would come into words instead of images. So that question to what happened was um, was really simple. It was it was um, you were going in the wrong direction It's like, say, you're going on a path and the path, you know, you go you know, this way. And I was going the opposite way of the path, the path I was supposed to be going on. I was going the direct opposite way. I was not supposed to be an angry, egotistical person. I was supposed to be more like what this was given to me. So I was going the wrong way. So essentially, and it was interesting because it said it, the answer was we, you know, you were going in the wrong direction. So we wanted to show you, you know, what life could be like. Mm. And that was the answer. And I and and when I heard it, I knew it was true. I just felt something in me felt this is totally true, whether it made any sense to me or not. It was true, but it did make sense. It was very simple. It wasn't like trumpets blaring and angels and chariots coming down. It was no huge mystical kind of a fantasy. The answers were always extremely clear and simple and really down to earth. You know, right. it was like you were going in the wrong direction. So we wanted to show you what life could be like. And, you know, I mean, this was such a huge change. But, you know, that was why it was done. That was why it was done. It was showing me what life could be like because yeah. I was going in the wrong direction. I needed to have that. You know, I needed right. to have now, I've, I've interviewed quite a few people that have had experiences, whether it was after um, a near-death experience that they had, or maybe they just came um, to realize the energy within themselves. And, you know, they speak a lot about love. I've uh, interviewed some people that, um, you know, have reconnected with more of their angelic selves from a past life. So I'm wondering, when you were 22 and this happened, do you feel that uh, you were waking up to the source within yourself and the love within yourself, or do you believe that an entity of love of a higher vibration of consciousness did, I, I don't know, there's a new term that I'm hearing about called the walk-in where these yeah. energies can, you know, walk in and you can have this profound experience and sometimes the walk-ins will stay. Um, so I'm curious to know, was it just you waking up in a moment or do you think it was a higher force coming into the physical, your physical body? Well, I think both of those things are true at the same time, because um, in essence, there really is only one. You know, there is only one in all everything we see with all the variety and all the diversity. Essentially, it's it's really only one. And that is unconditional love comes from this this experience of oneness of non separation. So this walk in is also me right? The real me. So I have this imaginary life, which I call Peter, and I'm an artist, and I have these experiences in a childhood and a mother that was an alcoholic and all these different things. That's my, my kind of fantasy world. And most of people live in this idea of themselves, this, this thought of themselves. And then there's a self that is not of thought, that has nothing to do with those thoughts. This, that's the freedom of not knowing. So the freedom of not knowing opens you into a self that is not limited to you. It's not limited to your body, your mind, your thoughts. It's, it's vast and infinite, includes everything. So that's why you can't really say the walk-in. And I mean, the walk-in is not a bad way of, of phrasing it because it's like the true me walked in to the you know, the imaginary me's life. 
Gotcha. Okay. So for a while I was who I am. And then I went back to the imaginary me, which I thought was what I was, you know, which I had been conditioned to believe what I was. It's what people thought of me, how people interacted with me. All these things created this image of me, you know, good or bad or whatever, you know, flexible and movable. And, you know, this this feeling of me is not a static thing. It's constantly changing. You know, we can feel really great when somebody compliments us one day and we're out, you know, I'm on top of the world. Look at how great I am. And then someone comes in and insults us and then we feel miserable. It's a very changeable uh, sense of, of a person that's not stable. And in not knowing, in opening to this this true self. It's funny because we use the word sometimes if you've seen it, capital T, capital S self, you know, as the true self. But it's it's not this, a self like we think. It's not personal. It's not individual. It's very, very different from that. Right. And that self, you know, that self is, is amazing. So that's what walked in. That self walked in and, and why it took 40 years <laughs> to come back to it again. I think I had a lot of learning to do. You know, that's it. I had a lot of learning to do. I had, I was too immature to to stay with this. And I, I had to learn what the ego is. I had to learn what the false self is. I had to go through the suffering and trying and but everything that I went through. That was all necessary for me to do. You know, the whole thing is always necessary. Life is not playing jokes on us. It's not, you know, being cruel to us. They're, we're not victims of life. Life is always for our benefit. It's always, always completely for our benefit. That's what we don't understand. Suffering itself is for our benefit. It's incredible learning experience. We learn better from suffering than we really learn from anything else. You know, I if I just stayed in that space of bliss and love, you know, that I was in at 22 for, for all those 40 years, what would I have really learned? You know, other than that, this is nice. That's all I would have learned. <laughs> it's a nice lesson, but it's not, there's a lot more to learn. You know, right. where's this ego, where does this sense of self come from? What is it? You know, is it real at all? I mean, that was a big learning for me. You know, that came mm, less than 10 years ago that this self that I thought I was was never actually real at all. And that was a crumbling of my entire history and life and everything that happened because all my thoughts were predicated on this sense of a self, this sense of an individual separate self. And when that went, when I realized that that wasn't true, it was like it was like the, the bottom card in a house of cards. It was pulled away and the whole story of me just collapsed. As soon as I felt that everything hinges on this idea of a separate me. And part of not knowing is if you're totally in not knowing, you also don't know you. You also don't know this story anymore. So you're free of that story. That's the freedom to mm. be free of this main illusion of I am, you know, I am I. When that's gone, it sounds frightening, I think, to most people. So they don't really want to go into it. But this that is what awakening is. That is the essence of awakening. It's letting go, realizing what this primary illusion is, that it is an illusion and really feeling that and accepting that. And when it's completely accepted, we let it go. It just sort of dissolves. And in this dissolving, there is this, this true self comes, this non-separation from everything, which is the feeling of unconditional love. Really what unconditional love is, is simply the feeling aspect of not feeling separate from anything. And you recently wrote a book called The Zen of Love this year, and really talking a lot about what you're talking about now with unconditional yeah. love, um, how to come into relationship with yourself. Um, and I, I know that I read somewhere, uh, a quote recently, actually, I think it was from one of my other teachers that says, love is unconditional. If it's not unconditional, it's not love. Yeah. It's not true love. Yeah. Not true love. Right. Yeah, it has, it has like, 
what we think of as love is sort of tinged with these with need with with expectations with uh, with a kind of uh, bargain you know if we're in, a, in an intimate relationship we're sort of making a deal like if you love me this much then I will love you this much and you know we're sort of making this sort of a a bargain, you know, and if you treat me really badly in this way, then I'm going to take away a bunch of love from you and only going to love you this much because I won't trust you anymore. It's this kind of back and forth play, whereas unconditional love doesn't care about that. It just loves, you know, it doesn't care what people do to us or what happens. It just loves. It can only love because it is love. It doesn't have, you know, it, it has no fear, no trust issues. No, it just loves. It's just pure love. It can't help but love. There's nothing else it can do. Now, I'm hoping maybe you can answer this question too. And I think that you address some of these issues in your book, but I always find it interesting with, you know, when I'm working with my own clients that here we are born of this oneness, right? Of this love. We, we are the supreme being of love. Yet when we come into the physical body, I find that most people are really struggling with loving themselves. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, very much so. This is a primary difficulty in, in all relationships is not loving ourself. But the problem with loving ourself is this. The self that we're trying to love is not real. This is an imaginary self. It's a changeable self. So if we say, you know, if we use affirmations, for instance, which are popular affirmations, say like, you know, I am beautiful, I am loving, I am kind, I am this, you know, and we build up that. The problem with this is with our mind, the duality of the mind is subconsciously we have the opposites. So I'm, you know, I'm beautiful, I'm ugly, I'm kind, I'm cruel, I'm not kind, I'm selfish. You know, there's the opposite is sort of hidden underneath the affirmation. And so it, it never really works, you know? It, we can feel a little bit better, but then at another time we're triggered and we don't feel it again. And this self that we're trying to love is this very changeable thing. It's not something that's solid that we can count on, that we can rely on to love because it's changeable, you know? It's like, okay, oh, I love myself now, but then this happened, or oh, I forgot about that thing that I did that I didn't like that I did. You know, there's all this stuff. There's so much stuff that goes into the sense of a self. It's not simple enough to, to love in this way. But when we know what we truly are as this true self, it is love itself. It's the source of love. So it's impossible not to love it. It's impossible not to. You can't not love love, right? And that's basically what you're looking at. That's basically what you are. You are love. So yes, what is but, that path then? What What is the better path to take to kind of unwrap this true self and come there, come to that place of love? Um, I, and I know that it's a journey. There's no yeah. like quick answer to say, do this. But um, wh what would you recommend other than maybe some people starting with those affirmations? Because I hear what you're saying. It really can trigger um, just the opposite. It can make you feel good for a while. I know that there's also, you know, a lot of talk of positive thoughts, how it can change our cells, you know, epigenetics is kind of um, talking a lot about that as well, that the, th the thoughts that we think affect the body and mm -hmm. in turn can heal. Um, but do you think that there, what would you say is the best path of kind of returning to love and coming back to the true self? Well, one, one good practice is to um, look in the mirror, you know, sometimes you do this like naked, you know, in a full length mirror to just really look at your body, look at everything. But you can just do it looking at your face, too, and look directly into your eyes in the mirror, the reflection and say over and over again, I love you. To the mirror, to the reflection, just keep saying I love you over and over again, do it for, you know, like five minutes set a timer so you don't stop. Because what happens when you do this is if you know your true self, you will just feel increasingly more love. Every time you say I love you, you'll just feel more and more love. It's 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 infinite love. So you just you just go deeper into this infinite love. You can't ever get to the bottom of it. But most people don't know their true self. 
So what they're going to feel is at first, okay, oh, I love you, I love you, okay, okay, I love you. And then this thought will come, are you kidding? You know, why am I doing this? You know, what about this thing that I did here? And all these, these thoughts are going to come up that are the opposite of loving. And it'll get quite painful. And you just keep saying, I love you. You know, and then you'll see all these thoughts that are not loving that are like rising up. You'll see all these thoughts that are not loving. That's what we're thinking about ourselves. These hidden thoughts will start coming up and we'll see these hidden thoughts. And uh, it's, it's challenging, it's difficult to see it, but these are the thoughts that we have about ourselves. So this will give us an awakening into what we're thinking about ourselves, why we don't love ourselves, you know? and. The way to to deal with this is really not knowing, you know, when we enter into not knowing, we don't have those thoughts. Right. What did I do? You know, oh, I, I like lied to my friend when I was um, 10 years old. I remember that was really I shouldn't have done that. Now I'm guilty about that. In not knowing that's gone. How do I know I did that? I don't even know who I am. You know, it, we just let go of all these thoughts. We let go of thoughts for a moment. We let go of thoughts. Not knowing is a really good way of letting go of thoughts because thoughts want to know, yes, I did do that. Yes, I did. And that was wrong. And I shouldn't have done that. There's a lot of knowing in that. But when we have really, I know nothing, that dissolves. You know, we can't count on any of our thoughts and not knowing. It's sort of a mantra to, to clear out the thoughts. And so we clear out these thoughts and in this emptiness, in this space, something is here. You know, I don't even know if we can call it something, but it, but the feeling is good. This feeling of freedom. There's also a feeling of love. There's also a feeling of if I know nothing, I'm not something separate from all this either. Right. That all comes from my knowing. When I don't know, I don't feel separate. I'm kind of comfortable. Right. I'm kind of relaxed here. I'm kind of comfortable here. And in that comfort, there's love. There's this feeling of love. This is what we are. In this not knowing, we come face to face with what we are. And it's beautiful. You know, this is what we love. We don't have to try to love this. We cannot help but love it. It's impossible not to love this. It's, it's the embodiment and essence of love itself. That's how we love ourselves. We can only love our true self. We're never going to love. It's it's a frustrating kind of a futile path to try and love this separate self. I mean, this is what a lot of books and things try and teach us how to do this affirmations, all kinds of other things. But we never will, you know, and that's why doing that exercise of looking in the mirror and saying I love you over and over shows us this, you know, because these thoughts are more thoughts are going to come if we cleaned out all those thoughts more thoughts would come about why we don't love ourselves. It's sort of the essence. I think you might have heard this before that negative thoughts about ourselves are like Velcro and positive thoughts are like Teflon. They just sort of float off, you know, a hundred people say like, oh, you're the most wonderful person. You're great. And one person comes in and said, um, I don't like your hair, you know, or something or like, are you kidding? Why are you wearing that dress? And suddenly that's what's on our mind. That's what's sticking. A right. hundred people just said we were fabulous. And one person said we weren't. And the one person is what we're focusing on. You know, so so these negative thoughts are like Velcro. You know, they come in like Velcro. And what we need to do to be free of that is to let go of all thoughts, positive and negative. Just let them go. Be in the state of not knowing and see what's here. What's being? What's this pure just beingness without being anything. What is it just to be alive? What is it just to be in this moment, to be present in this moment? This is how we love ourselves. This is how we can't help but love ourselves and everything else because we're not separate from anything else. It's the way when I, for the 10 years that I've been doing healing, healing people of physical problems and emotional. Um, I realized at some point that the only true healing is awakening. And that's why I do what I do now, because this is the true healing. 
when we awaken to what we truly are, if we're lying in bed and our body is riddled with cancer and we have like, you know, maybe three weeks left to live and we're in chronic pain, if we're awake, who cares? This is it, you know, being who we truly are is just a body, you know, they all right. die. I mean, we understand this. So, so the healing, it's like all the physical healing that I did, it, it felt after a while like this is just a Band-Aid. You know, people need to know who they are. This is the only healing there really is. This is the only true healing there is. So my attention went on this and people don't come to me for physical healing anymore, rarely. You know, mm. it's only happened a few times. And the last person that came, he woke up. <laughs> <laughs> he woke up and he died a year later, you know, but he woke yeah. up. And it was so beautiful that he woke up, that his awakening made his death this re amazingly precious thing. It, his wife, they were married for 50 years and his wife just felt absolute joy on his death. Absolute, like complete connection with them and absolute joy. And she still does no grief at all. 50 years they were married. They had a wonderful marriage and she felt zero grief. Just happiness is amazing. Mm -hmm. and, and also I went and I met, they had a dozen of their friends come to meet me and um, they tell me their stories and he woke them up. None of them have a fear of death anymore from being with him while he was going through this. That was the most, I'd never been more touched by anything. You know, the fact that I had even the smallest thing to do with this was so touching and I was so grateful. I felt like, oh, OK, I'm done. <laughs> That's I, you know, this is how can it get better than this? You know, right. Cause he, he had like helped all these other people by his awakening. And he came specifically for a physical problem. You know, physically, he was he was getting uh, dizzy. You know, there was a, his arteries were getting clogged up. So when he would exercise and he was very athletic, very, you know, hiker and very, very athletic, very fit guy for his age. And um, he was having trouble with dizziness and things when he would exercise. That's what he came for. Wow. He, he ended up would sit there and would go through these practices so I could feel what he was feeling. So he would jump around, do jumping jacks or whatever to get, you know, so he could feel dizzy, so I could feel that, because that's what always would happen. I would feel whatever they were feeling. And uh, then we would work with that feeling, and after a while, I'd say, okay, we'd sit down, so how is, what are you feeling now? You know, and I was expecting, well, you know, only 10% is dizzy or whatever, some improvement. And he'd say, like, bliss, just bliss. And so I said, like, well, I guess that's good. What else can we do then? <laughs> no. <laughs> So we, the three times he came, it always ended like that. It always ended that he just felt bliss. And, and I thought like, well, you know, all right, that's, you know, there's nothing more to do. If you're feeling bliss, you're not, right. you're not caring whether you're dizzy, you're not caring about these things anymore. Yeah. And I had no idea that what had happened to him afterwards, but about a year later, you know, his wife contacted me and said that he'd passed in this letter where she was feeling just this kind of uh, bliss, you know, this, this amazing love and bliss. And, uh, yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah. So it almost feels like in talking with you that maybe even the better affirmation for all of us to be walking around saying is I know nothing. I don't know. Yeah. I know nothing. I know, I know nothing. I don't. Yeah. Muji um, is a very awake teacher. And, and always when people ask him, so what's your teaching and what do you do for teaching? He said, I know nothing, nothing, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so true because that is the awakened state of consciousness is, is we're free of knowing. We don't know right. anything. And yet whatever needs to come in the moment just comes. It just comes where it comes. Sometimes it comes from our previous knowledge and sometimes it comes from something that we have no access in our mind to. It just sort of arrives from somewhere. I don't know where, but it's we prefer that <laughs> to our own knowing. You know, we're humbled. We're very, very humbled. Awakening is extremely humbling. It doesn't prop us up, like, you know, build up our ego. I'm awake. Look at me. I mean, unfortunately, there are teachers like that, but they're not awake. They just say they are. They right. think. They are. 
you know, way yeah. too very humbling. I would also like to encourage the listeners um, when they get a chance to go on your website to take a look at uh, a page that you have on there about the map of consciousness and the journey to awakening, which is really all that you're summing up in this podcast. And, um, you know, in this map of consciousness, you say that there are seven states. And I'd like to just read them and kind of do a little conclusion here of what you've been talking about. Um, but I also think that it's kind of a good little checklist for people to see where, where they personally are. And there was a part of me when I went to the map of consciousness and I was applying it to myself, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm only at stage three. I have a long way to go. (laughs) Um, but that's where I kind of changeable in a way too. It's not like set. I'm only here. I'm only here. They sort of infiltrate, you know, each other to a certain Degree. It's hard to make a map of this, but I felt it was useful, you know, as best as I could to go in as best as I could to make. Something. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you did a good job because to me, it really, um, it kind of, when, when I looked at it, it looked like what the spiritual path kind of feels like. Um, so I'm just going to read for our listeners, just in case if they're not following along on your website. But the first step is the ego, personal self, the dream. And that's the experience of most humans, thoughts and ego is me, the human story and suffering. Two would be personal consciousness, aware of awareness. And that's the journey of awakening and where it begins here. And first awareness of thoughts and ego is not me. And then three is love something more. And it's the direct experience of something more than the personal self immersion in love and as love. Uh, four is that pure being that you were talking about. The I am as pure being itself and that profound bliss. Five is the void and the emptiness that we were talking about too. this transitional stage of cleaning the last attachments to the ego and self. Six would be the pure consciousness and true oneness. Um, no personal self, to be conscious, universal, all pervading oneness. I am that I've searched for and seven living awake, how enlightenment functions in a daily life for the benefit of all. Mm. You have some great resources on your website. Um, so I really will encourage the listeners to go there, but I really like that map of consciousness. I had never seen anybody put something together like that before. This was, uh, easy for me to interpret. You're on the love on, on three, on, on the love, opening to unconditional love, right? That's a beautiful place to be. See, as we go on to this, there's no problem like hanging around uh, on, a, on a beautiful stage state like that. Why not? You know, it feels wonderful. You know, it's just that it isn't the end. And when we're ready to move on, you know, we do move on. Right. Right. But it's under, that's a wonderful place to hang out. I, I stayed there for years. It was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's good to know. And that's encouraging. Maybe I'll hang out here for a couple more years. But yeah. yeah. But um, but Peter, we are coming to a close here with this interview. But you are definitely the type of person that I feel like I could talk to for about three to four hours nonstop because yeah. there's such great stuff here. Um, just, you know, in your own wisdom and experience. And I love this topic of talking about all of this stuff and, and the path to enlightenment. But I would like you to let our listeners know where they can find out more information about you and your website, because you also um, teach a bunch of groups, you have individual sessions, and you're located in Sedona, Arizona, right? Yeah, in Sedona. Yeah. I can't wait to come out there and see you. My dad lives in Glendale, Arizona. Oh. And every time I go out to visit, I have to be in Sedona. Sedona is so, beautiful, isn't it? Oh, yeah, my wonderful. God. Yeah. So I'm going to come find you and uh, yeah, come, come, yeah. come to your center. But yeah, yeah let, let our listeners know some of the other things that you do outside of your art and writing books. Well, I have a... Um, I have an online satsang, which is just uh, being with uh, truth. Um, it's a, a teaching. And then at the end, people can ask questions. It's mostly like a teaching and an opening and kind of a transmission that happens. Um, and that's online every Saturday at noon, Arizona time. And you can find out about that on the website. And then in Sedona, every Monday night at seven, I have a satsang, you know, which is the same thing, but in person. And, um, there's individual sessions that I do, um, so people can contact me for individual sessions. A lot of people seem to want to do that, um, but the groups are really, are really wonderful too. You know, they're not as individually focused on people, so that's why they 
do the individual sessions. You know, they want to deal with what they're dealing with, you know, in their life. And, and it's good because, you know, I'm just being completely present. So I don't have any fixed ideas for people. I don't have like, follow my steps one, two, and three. It's, it's unique to each person because what they come with is unique. So they need something that's like that. So that's what I do in the spiritual teachings. And the book is available. It's called The Zen of Love. It's on Amazon. And um, and I'm just putting my artwork up. I have another art site where I sell prints of work that I do, which is all like mostly Zen paintings. It's it's coming from the same openness, the same energy. They're amazing, too, because the the practice of zen painting it is one of complete not knowing complete letting go and letting this this you know this true self paint right without us doing it you know so right. as an artist for many years i had to to learn to let go of all my practice and all everything that i'd learned all these years it was so freeing it was so <laughs> wonderful to do that i think it's harder for artists to paint in this way than it is for someone that's never held a paintbrush before um true yeah to let go of yeah but it really is beautiful because the you know as as you're painting you realize i could never paint like that <laughs> you know with all the, <laughs> the all the years of practice as an artist and all the training you know i could never paint like this and yet it's coming from this hand you know it's amazing to see that so so should i give the website um yes please link okay it's uh N, as in Nancy, hyphen, enlightenment. So instead of E N L I G H T M E N T, it's just N hyphen L I G H T M E N T. I think that's the spelling. dot com, enlightenment. dot com. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Peter, for being a guest on our podcast. This was a great interview. I had a lot of fun. And thank you for sharing your story, your wisdom, and your knowledge with me and all of our listeners. Yeah. Thank you, April. It was fun. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that show. And don't forget to sign up for our premium service with over 100 hours of interviews, as well as our new segments such as Two Minute Tuesdays, Food for Thought Fridays, as well as the Virtual Book Club on Thursdays. All of these extra segments are only available for our premium subscribers. Visit the podcast section of our website at path11productions.com to learn more or to start your subscription for only $3.99 a month. If you're not interested in a premium subscription, you can still use our smartphone app for both Android and iPhones. Just search for Path 11 in the Google Play App Store, or if on an iPhone, look for Path 11 in the iOS App Store. Of course, you can still catch our latest five interview shows at any time by subscribing to the Path 11 podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and iHeartRadio. If you want more information about our films, visit our website, path11productions.com, to purchase DVDs or to rent and stream each film. You can also find our trilogy of films on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and Gaia.com. Catch you next time.